All right, our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 through 30. And uh, if you were here last week, you know we kind of left off in our uh, reading in Exodus with kind of a cliffhanger. And so we had been reading about um, the people who God has brought out of slavery in Egypt, and they are kind of in the in the wilderness. They have been grumbling about not having any water, and God has provided them water. He uh, they were grumbling <clears throat> about not having food <clears throat> to the point that they even started wishing that they could go back to slavery in Egypt, thinking that that might be better than the salvation that God has provided. <clears throat> anyway, and so in, um, in chapter 16, verse 8, um, it was pointed out, uh, by Moses, that when they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, they weren't grumbling against them. They were actually grumbling against God. They were grumbling against what God had done for them uh, in their complaining. And yet, uh, there is this mercy and graciousness of God. So we will see uh, this morning how it is that he provided for them, even in the midst of their grumbling. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. God, we do pray that you would um, help us this morning to, to hear, to really hear what your message is for us. That it is uh, so easy to get uh, off track. It is so easy to pay attention to lesser words. God, it is so easy uh, to believe things that are not true. Now we pray that you would help us this morning uh, to hear again from you what you have revealed uh, about who you are, who we are, and how we are to live here and now in relationship with you and with each other. God, help us to have a vision um, of your greatness. God, that we would trust in your wisdom above our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 through 30. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? But they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, 
Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Turning then to our gospel reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, There is a quote by uh, Groucho Marx. It's up in the library at the high school. At least it was last time I was in there. And you may have heard it before. And it's uh, talking about books. And it says, uh, outside of a a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Pretty good. I like that. Uh, not that anyone's ever tried to read inside of a dog. I don't think that's the point. But the point is, uh, there are two things we're going to be talking about today, and that little line right there kind of brings them both together. One is the difference between things on the inside and the outside, and the other is this subversion of expectation. Like when that, if you hadn't heard that saying before, you didn't know that that's where it was going when it started. <laughs> you were expecting it to be about something else. And this is also uh, what we're going to be looking at, is this kind of subversion of expectation. And um, and so with this, 
we're, um, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And I will remind you that this is the uh, letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth. Corinth, uh, located in an area where things uh, were pretty wild to be Corinthian back then, was a way that, you know, if you weren't from Corinth, you could talk about people living a Corinthian life, and that was a way of saying they were really wild-living kind of person. Um, <clears throat> but it's also a letter where Paul addresses these various challenges that are going on in the church that he actually started there. And so he started this church in Corinth, and <laughs> lo and behold, there are problems in this church as they are seeking to follow Christ and yet are also uh, dealing with the worldliness that is around them and in them. And so uh, the way that he addresses these problems is the you know, he takes a look at what the problem is and then applies the gospel to that particular problem. How does Jesus answer this? And so one of the section we're in right now is um, the divisions that there are in the church. And so we looked last week at uh, a church that's divided over its leaders, and we talked about how uh, in, in the church we have more in common in Jesus than we have uh, not in common in our divisions. And so when we had all the... You know, people saying, oh, I follow Apollos, or I follow Paul, or I follow Cephas. It's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what we have, who we are in Christ is more than all of that. And so um, he continues this week along these lines, but uh, the line of unity. But now it's about the unity of our message. One of the things that he was talking about with the... Um, the different leaders that everybody's trying to follow. It's not that listening to any one of them is bad. It was the fighting about which one you're listening to that was the bad part because what they're supposed to be doing, they're all supposed to be saying the same thing. They're all preaching the same message. Well, what is that message? And that's where we go today. Uh, he mentioned in verse 17, talking about baptizing, and he says, uh, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so now he's going to go ahead and talk about the cross of Christ. This is the message that we preach. This is what we proclaim. And so he goes in uh, 18 through 25 like this. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He will go on from there. That's where we're going to pause today, though, and we'll look at uh, more next week and following. 
But what he's, <clears throat> what he's talking about here, and this, uh, the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Do you hear that there's a difference between how the same thing is perceived by those who are inside and those who are outside? One of the uh, examples, and I know I've told you about this before, I just really am always in awe of this, uh, is the Caverns of Sonora. Have you been to the Caverns of Sonora? I, ho- I hope to see every head nodding. Has everybody been to the Caverns of Sonora? This, the, the part, <laughs> this part is sponsored by... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but you really should go if you haven't gone. It is, it's incredible. And the thing about it that's so incredible to me is not only these incredible um, formations that just change as you kind of go from room to room and you have all these uh, stalactites and stalagmites and they're looking like uh, Christmas trees in one room and they look like applesauce in another room and they look like, I mean, it's just crazy. It's these vast differences between, as you go from one kind of natural room to another, it just completely changes and it's always beautiful. It looks like bacon in some places. It looks like uh, drinking straws in other places. It's just incredible. So different So cool all the way through. Here's what's really cool to me, though. When you're above ground and you're looking over the landscape, it looks just like everywhere else. You would never guess that's down there. And that is just really cool to me, (laughs) that you'd have something that amazing that's completely unseen from the surface. And, uh, And so I imagine you have somebody goes down there like the first person to ever see it all. They go through and they explore the whole thing. Like, this is so cool. I got to tell somebody. And they go up and they're talking to their neighbor, <laughs> right? Who has very similar looking land. And he's like, guess what? I went down there and this is what I saw. And they describe it all. And the neighbor's like, you're a lunatic. That's <laughs> This is crazy talk. This is not, I have dug down on my property. That's not what's there, <laughs> right? You can imagine this kind of conversation. And so from the outside, from looking at it from the surface, you go, that doesn't sound right at all to me. However, once you've seen it, once you've experienced it, not only do you know it's true, you know it's amazing, and it no longer sounds like crazy talk. It's like, oh, this, this really is cool. It's the same uh, kind of thing as with stained glass windows, where you have, if you've ever looked at a church that has beautiful stained glass windows, but the lights are off in the church and you're looking at it from the outside, have you ever seen that in the middle of the day? It doesn't look very nice, does it? On the other hand, you come inside and you have the sun shining through. It's like, wow, that's beautiful. There's a difference of perspective from the inside and the outside. Um, <clears throat> Now, stained glass windows are a little different because they work two ways. And so if you ever have lights in, on inside, uh, then the, uh, yeah, the beauty really shines in the darkness of the world around. There's a metaphor there. I'll let you find that one. Anyway, <laughs> but here we have uh, what, what Paul is talking about is the message that we have in common as Christians is Jesus Christ crucified. This is what he says. From the outside makes no sense, but from the inside is beautiful. From the outside, it makes no sense that you have the Messiah, that Jesus is going to, that God is going to send 
someone who's going to be the savior of the world, and that savior is going to show up and get killed. That doesn't make any sense. In fact, this was Paul's perspective. Remember? Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee who was actually standing there giving his approval to uh, the death of Stephen, someone who was a deacon in the early church. Because the way that Paul saw it was that he, he believed that God was going to send someone who was going to be the savior of the world. He believed that God was going to send this Messiah, this anointed one, the Christ. That all means the same thing. And it, that he, he was going to send that one. However, the way that he was viewing it is that when, when the Messiah shows up, he's going to be the one who uh, throws out the Romans and reestablishes the kingdom of Israel as an independent nation. The temple's going to be restored. All these things to its former glory. Everything's going to be wonderful again. But he sees it in those terms. When Jesus shows up, he doesn't fit the expectation. And so when Jesus shows up, doesn't fit the expectation, so much so that he goes to the cross and dies like a criminal, Paul makes the logical conclusion. Not the Messiah, right? That's how it made sense to Paul as a Jew. Gentiles look at this and they're saying, we're looking for someone, uh, we're looking for someone who is the, uh, a true God who can actually um, explain all of life to us. And so they're trying to reason from, I mean, you think about the, uh, how you can sort of reason into certain things. Romans, uh, Paul talks about how even in nature itself, like the, there's a certain amount of uh, way that God has revealed himself in nature. You can look at the stars in the sky. You can look at the mountains. You can look at the ocean. You can, there are things about uh, creation itself that you say, there's got to be a God. There has to be some sort of a prime mover. There has to be some sort of uh, somebody who went first to get everything going. And so you can know some things about God. You know that God exists. You know that he's uh, amazingly creative and amazingly powerful for things to exist, for us to exist. But that only takes you so far. If you're just going by reason alone, do you reason your way all the way to, and then I bet that what's going to happen is this God is going to take on human flesh and die on a cross. No, you don't get there by reason. And so to the Greek who's trying to uh, figure out all of life just by this reasoning, this is foolishness. That there would be a Messiah, that there would be the Savior would come and die? doesn't make any sense. And so you look at the contrast on Palm Sunday when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's coming into the capital city. And there's this great contrast between what everybody else sees and what Jesus sees, right? Everybody else sees Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And whether they are on uh, kind of his side or not, they're all thinking the same thing. He's coming in to take the throne. That he's coming in to be the king. He's coming in to be this son of David, the one who has uh, descended from David and is now going to take up the throne of David, who's going to reign over the nation of Israel and drive out the Romans. That's what everybody's thinking, whether they want that to happen or not. That's what they're all thinking, except Jesus, right? Who has been telling his disciples the whole way to Jerusalem, 
hey, by the way, when we get there, <laughs> I'm not going to the throne, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. And his disciples, with their selective hearing, just tune it out. They cannot hear it because it doesn't make any sense. How could he be the savior and die? How could he be the king and be hung on a cross as a criminal? It doesn't make any sense, right? From the outside. This is that outside perspective that uh, where <clears throat> the message of the cross of Christ, the Messiah being crucified doesn't make any sense. That was Paul's perspective until he meets the risen Jesus. And this is where we have everything changed for him. This is where we have, you know, in the song Amazing Grace, we sing basically Paul's perspective. I once was blind, but now I see, right? That when it wasn't making sense to him, it's because he was looking at everything from a worldly perspective. He's looking at everything from a human wisdom kind of perspective. But there's something different that is the revelation of God. That this is not something we reason to, this is something God reveals to us. When Jesus actually shows up in flesh, when he goes to the cross and he dies, and then when he is raised again, and, uh, and we see that the cross itself, from a worldly point of view, is that, <laughs> that point of absolute weakness. But from the kingdom point of view, we see the cross of Christ as the ultimate strength and power. We see at the cross Jesus' victory over sin and death and brokenness and evil and all the things that need to get fixed in this broken world. And we see him doing that at the cross. We see that from the inside. And so from the inside, we look at that, and <clears throat> this is why the cross is so central to Christians. This is why we have a giant cross in the sanctuary. It's why we have it on our jewelry. It's why we have it uh, decorating just about everything that we have done for the last 2,000 years. Because the cross, Jesus crucified, is the message of Christians. That's what we have. That's what we have to offer the world. Is what has been revealed to us as the good news that God has so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Not just to show us a better way, but to actually die for us. To actually do for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is the good news we proclaim. And it doesn't make any sense <laughs> on the outside. But inside, it is beautiful. This is why, uh, as he he says again, uh, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Um, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is so central 
The cross of Christ is so central that this is why, as we read on through the rest of this particular letter, every problem that they're facing in the church, the way that it gets addressed is Paul goes back to the cross of Christ. If Jesus Christ, if he is God in the flesh who has died for us, how then do we approach this problem? Right? That's how every problem gets addressed. This is what we preach. This is our message. Christ crucified. Apart from this, what we have is the same thing the rest of the world has, where you approach a problem and you go, I don't know. Let's start making stuff up and see if we can figure it out on our own. Paul says we've got better than that. We have the cross of Christ. This is what has been revealed to us by God is uh, where Jesus takes up his cross and then calls us to do the same. If we see the love that God has had for us in uh, Jesus Christ dying for us, this changes how we then live. This changes how we approach our problems and uh, changes how we live together in community with people that we have a lot of differences with. How do we do that? Apart from the cross of Christ, I have no idea. But because of the cross of Christ, we have resources to live together in unity in a way that the rest of the world can't even understand. This is why Paul keeps coming back to this again and again, not just in this letter. Uh, Philippians, nice short letter, so you, you can do this. Go through and mark it up. Every time that Paul mentions Jesus or Christ or Lord, just mark that up and see what Philippians looks like. <laughs> it's all over the place. He is in prison uh, when he writes that letter, facing um, possible execution. And everything that he is talking about, there is a joy, there is a peace, there is a contentment with his circumstances. How is this possible? Because of Jesus. This is our message. We don't get past that. I think a lot of times what we do is we kind of think, oh, well, uh, yeah, I know about the cross of Jesus. I know that Jesus died for me. And, you know, I kind of dealt with that years ago. And now we need to be talking about different things. Nope. (laughs) It is the cross of Jesus that is at the center of everything. In the same way that if you said, I want to write the next great American novel, but I don't want to use like the alphabet because I learned that in kindergarten. So I'm just going to get past that now. I'm going to do something else. It's like, well, then you're not going to write the next great American novel. (laughs) This is the alphabet is foundational. It is what everything you write is going to use. The same thing, the cross of Jesus for a Christian needs to be at the center of everything that we do. This is our message. He says, you know, as far as the the unity that they have or the division that they were facing, the division they're facing, they're trying to follow these different human leaders. And he's like, but we're all saying the, the message is the same. This is one of the things that we have in common is what we are proclaiming is not our own wisdom. Yes, so-and-so might have a different way of saying it. So-and-so might have a different way of saying it, but what we're all saying is the same thing. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our eloquence. It's about the power of the cross of Christ. This is why it's what, that's what we preach This is where we have our unity. This is what we are to be about as Christians. And as we continue uh, through this this letter, we will see again and again how Paul (laughs) just addresses every problem this way. Let me give you a couple other places where he says similar things. 2 Corinthians 
the next letter. He talks uh, in chapter 4, and he talks about those who are, have been blinded. The, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And he says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Again, in uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, it says, he, talking about Christ, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3 it says, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It says, as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is why when we are reading through the whole Bible and we're in the Old Testament, every time, no matter where we're reading, we're always asking the question, how does this point us to Jesus? Because Jesus is the center of it all. So how is this pointing us to Jesus? As we're reading in the letters uh, after the Gospels, how does this uh, talk about how we live because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done? Uh, Jesus As the Messiah, as a Messiah who has died for us, again, doesn't make any sense if you just if you don't see it. And so as Christians, as those who see that this is the power of God, this is the wisdom of God, this is how God has revealed who he is and who we are, and uh, so much more, this is what God has revealed to us. And so therefore, this is our message to the world. This is what we have to offer, is the message of Jesus Christ crucified. So we can't get upset with people who don't see it. What we can do is pray for them to have their eyes open. Think about this. Paul, when he is standing there giving his approval to the stoning of Stephen, he doesn't see it. He thinks in his own human wisdom, that he is doing the thing that God will like the best. But he's not, because he doesn't see it. He does not understand the wisdom and the power of the cross of Christ. Stephen, on the other hand, does see it. And what does Stephen do? As he's dying at the hands of, um, of someone like Paul. This is in Acts chapter 7. It says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. Do you hear what's going on there? 
Stephen, even as he's being killed, is praying for Saul, who we call Paul. Praying for him. A man whose eyes are clearly closed. And you know what happens later? Turn the page. His eyes are open. And his life is forever changed. And so many other people's lives are forever changed because he was able to see then what he could not see before. So we want to know how to respond to the evil in this world. We pray. We pray that eyes will be opened, that people who see the cross of Christ now as foolishness will understand the wisdom of God, that people who see it as the ultimate sign of weakness for Jesus to lay down his life for the good of others would see it for what it is instead as the very power of God stronger than anything and that we have apart from it. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for uh, your word, which you have given to us. We thank you for the ways that you have revealed uh, who you are in your creation we thank you for the ways that you have revealed it in your word. Thank you for the ways that you have revealed it in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. God, we pray that you would keep us centered on what is central. God, that we would uh, that we would see all of life through gospel lenses. Now that we would never get um, away from the cross of Christ. Lord, that we would uh, only more and more come to appreciate the wisdom and the power that, uh, that is displayed with Jesus' death on the cross. Dying that we would live. God, we do pray that you would help us and not only to apply this to every area of our lives, but also, as Peter says, to be those who are always ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. And doing so with gentleness respect. God, we pray for those who do not yet see that you would open their eyes. And God, we pray uh, for those of us who do see or that you would keep our eyes open. Help us not to get distracted by the, um, the other things of the world. Help us not to, uh, to make idols in our own image and call that Jesus. Lord, help us to stay with our eyes uh, fixed 
on Jesus. The author, the perfecter of our faith, and the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.